Um, the title of the message is Searching Over Satisfied. No, no, Satisfied. Satisfied Over Searching. <laughs> that was just a test. <laughs> I'm going to actually grab this gym because I need somewhere for my water. Because I got a lot of notes. All right. All right, guys. So if I can just start us up by praying. Yes. If we can yes. just bow our heads. Father, we just ask that you would permeate this room, that you would um, invade hearts, that you would invade lives this weekend, that women would leave here encountering you, the fount of living water, the one who gives life, that finds us in the midst of our darkness and puts light in it. God, that, that women would leave here sparkling, that women would leave here cleansed in you, freed in you. And God, there is satisfaction found in you. And so God, we ask that you would take these words, mere words, and that you would transform them to pierce hearts and to do a mighty work, God. We trust you for that. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. If you guys can open up your Bibles, if you brought your Bibles. How many people have brought your Bibles here? Okay, nice. Nice and studious. Let's open up to Philippians 2, 5 through 8. I'm going to read that verse. and Oh, and there's Bibles in the back if you need some. Philippians 2, 5 through 8. I'm going to read this verse, and then I'm going to jump right into a story of a woman. Okay? And so it reads this way. Have this mind among yourselves which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. By nature, guys, we are pursuers. We are people who chase after something. Tell me if you cannot hear me, raise your hand, and I will stick closely to this thing. We are pursuers by nature. Our heart's inclination is to lean, to bend towards something, to, to want to pursue something or someone. Whether you're pursuing status, popularity, academics, your career, friendships, relationships, Maybe you're pursuing your children and, and their best and their studies and what's good for them. Maybe you're pursuing a relationship with another human being. Maybe it's going to flourish into something of marriage. Or maybe you're pursuing your husband. Maybe it's the American dream for you. Like if I have two and a half kids, a car, or sorry, a minivan, and a house, everything's going to be fine. We pursue these things, whether they're people or things, but in our hearts is this natural inclination to chase after things. We are pursuers. We go after things that we value. We chase what we love. When people are asked, what do you value most? Usually on the top of their list is God, right? Husband, my kids, peace. These are some of the top things on the list. But they become the bottom dwellers 
in the busyness of life. They become the bottom dwellers in our actions. And here's how to tell what is on the top of your pursuit list. What is on the top of what you value? What do you spend your time on? What do you spend your time on? This has been a distraction for the last two weeks. I was like, I'm sorry, Lord. I got to get off the phone. What do I spend my money on? Look at your bank account. It's really telling. And then how about your minds? Uh, Erica, just a great illustration of writing down what's on your mind, this clutter, right? Of all the things I got to do. Some of you have left laundry in the dryer. Oh, my goodness. It's going to be okay. I left my two kids and my two dogs at home, and I'm just hoping... Yeah, anyways. Uh, I threw that away. All right. So what, what's in your mind, right? What are you thinking about? Where does your mind drift to when you're in deep thought? What things or people consume your thoughts? Those are three questions that are very, very telling, and they're going to allow you to search your heart. Because the truth is, what you pursue often follows with your devotions and, and your love. You begin to love and have affections for the things that you spend time on, the things that you spend your money on, the things that you think about. Pursuing and having affections for something or someone is not bad in itself. It's when that thing takes the place of the best thing. Good things, when they take the place of the best thing, become idols. We talked about idols last year, but I'm going to talk about a woman who, who loved her idols. When our affection and devotion for others or for stuff surpass our affections and devotions for Jesus, then that thing has become an idol. The Bible calls that idolatry. If you've never heard that word or, or that concept, it means that anything that takes the place of God in your life is an idol. Anything you devote your time to almost worship can become an idol. John Calvin said, our hearts are idol factories. Like out of our hearts, we just want to worship things. You know, you're going to worship something. The question is, what are you worshiping? And so we're tempted to make idols out of temporary things when we should be making Christ high and lifted up, making him the ultimate thing. And so just tonight, this weekend, I'm asking that the Lord would take inventory of our hearts. Because it's so easy for those things to slip into first place and we don't even know it. And I'm not talking just for people who have not accepted Christ. I'm talking about believers. Yes. I'm talking about people who say, I've devoted my life to Jesus. And these things begin to take first place. And God is in second place. Before we get to Philippians 2, I want to jump to a woman. And we're going to find her in the book of Hosea. We just recently spoke at a WTR, which is a weekend to remember. And there we were able to share our story, my husband and I. My husband's the cute drummer. (laughs) And then my son is the guitarist. My my daughter here is singing. Where is she at? Cynthia. And then I have my baby girl here for the first time with her first retreat. Raise your hand. And then my 
daughter here, Ada. So it's just a family affair. <laughs> so we went to WTR and we were able to share our story about how God intervened in our marriage. Because three years into our marriage, there was infidelity and, and our marriage almost fell apart. But there was hope and, and, and redemption and restoration in Christ. And we get to now share our story to marriages and tell them that God can restore. That he can restore your broken pieces, your broken places. And, and, and just being able to do that is just... I'm, I, it, my boggles my mind, honestly. <laughs> Literally every time I'm going up to speak to over 600 people, I'm thinking, they got the wrong person. <laughs> I mean, before I go up there, I'm like, how did this happen again? And, and I'm just in awe. But I want you to picture for a moment. A couple comes up to you, a scenario. A married couple. And they want to tell you their story. And the man comes up to you and he says, I've been married for 10 years, and my wife has cheated on me with different men. I have even caught her in the act. She continues to cheat, even when she told me she won't do it again. <laughs> Let that story sink in for a second. What's the advice you would give that man? She doesn't deserve you. Leave her. You're a fool. Why are you sticking around? Let me change the roles a bit and the scenario. What if you were the woman caught in that affair? What if you were the woman who continued to fall? Think about it. Think about that woman. He's a good man. He loves our children. He provides for me. He's so forgiving. I don't deserve him. I have been a fool. If he could only see my desire to change for good this time, would he be able to forgive me? Could he love me again? Could there be complete restoration of our marriage? I love my husband and I just want another chance. Some of you still hold your, chance, your stance. I would never do that. Okay? Some of you would say, I'd leave me. I'd say, bendito, leave, right? <laughs> However, when you're the woman in the scenario, all of a sudden, you cry out mercy. All of a sudden, judgment is to the side and you're like, I wonder what would happen if she got another chance. We had a beautiful couple approach us after one of our sessions and they came up to my husband and I and he said, my wife has cheated on me several times within the 36 years of our marriage. And she stood next to him, crying and shaking. The weight of guilt riddled all over her. He said, I was determined to divorce her. In fact, our divorce would be final in two weeks. But after I heard your story, I want to forgive my wife. And I looked over to that woman, broken and crying, and I could imagine that his words sounded like hope to her. I could imagine that his words had given her a second chance. When we're the woman in the scenario, all of a sudden, things change. We want mercy. I want to take a look at the life of a woman called Gomer in Hosea. And her husband, his name is Hosea, she's, she's Gomer. Hosea chapter 2. It's in the Old Testament. If you have a Bible, just move 
to the front. Thank you. I have my sister. Thank you. I, she's not familiar with my words. I'm like, Cherie, no. Um, oh, and my sister's here. Sorry. <laughs> Some of you know that already. Um, and let's take a quick look at her. <laughs> You're a mess. <laughs> Gomer was the wife of Hosea, and Hosea was an Old Testament prophet. And God told Hosea a very, he told him to do a very hard thing. Now, Hosea was a prophet during the golden age of Israel. That means there was peace in the land, and as a result, there was a lot of prosperity. There was a lot of prosperity, and with prosperity came a lot of idol worship. The people of Israel were consumed with their idol worship, and they forgot about God. If you don't have some context about Bible history, Israel, the people of God, were people's, the people of God, God's chosen people. He loved them. He had a plan with them. He said, I will make a great nation out of you. Israel was God's beloved people. But the people were in idol worship. They had forgotten God. So God instructed Hosea, he says, go marry a prostitute. And not only marry her, go have children with her. And not only marry her and have children with her, I want you to love her. She's going to leave you. She's going to betray you. And she's going to keep on going back to her lovers. But I want you to marry her. And God warned the people of Israel of their unfaithfulness. And he was trying to show the people of Israel an, an illustration of their unfaithfulness. So he has the prophet marry an unfaithful woman. She would be then, their lives would be a picture of what was happening with the people of God and God. Israel's unfaithfulness. Now, God's chosen love people are unfaithful, doing their things, change, you know, leaving him time and time again. And God chose this prophet to be a mirror, to show. He was a looking glass so that they can see what they were doing. But the beautiful thing about the book of Hosea is that it depicts the depths that the love of God will go to, to go after a wandering and unfaithful bride. For those of you who don't know the Bible, again, God had a love for Israel. God loved Israel. God kept going after Israel. We go from Genesis all the way through the Old Testament. Israel kept on just leaving God because our hearts are prone to wander. Our hearts are prone to leave. Mm -hmm. Let's take a quick look at Gomer because she's a great picture of someone who's searching but not satisfied. She is an example that the heart can wander farther than we ever thought it can go. She's an example that we chase after, after things to find satisfaction and do not find desire. Do not find fulfillment. It's often said when people get to a place in a bad spot and they're far gone, they usually ask the question, how did I get here? Right? The Bible says that the heart is wicked. Who can know it? Our hearts left to its own devices has the capacity to chase after the most evil things, to chase after empty things in pursuit of fulfillment and satisfaction. And so Gomer was a prostitute. We don't know much about her background. We know who her father was, but all we hear is right away, Gomer was a prostitute. How many of you have watched the show Scandal? 
It's a test. Don't, don't raise your hand. <laughs> no judgment zone. I don't watch it, guys. I'm just messing with y'all. Um, I haven't watched it. But just the commercial tells you there's a lot of scandal. I mean, it's scandalous. What'd you say? <laughs> but this woman was a scandal. She was scandalous. Perhaps the gossip of town, she was a woman of damaged reputation. And God tells him, go marry her. Can you imagine? And then he says, go have children with her. And so they have children. They have three children. One of the children's name was No Mercy. No Mercy. That was the name of the child. Because God was making a, 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 he was trying to make a statement of what was happening to the people of Israel. He says, her name is No Mercy, it was a girl. They had a daughter named Jezreel, which means scattered. And then they had another daughter that's called um, Not My People, or a son, I'm sorry. A son, Not My People. But can you imagine being named No Mercy? That's like these poor kids who are named after drinks. That's just my child, Hennessy, that Chardonnay, <laughs> Alice and the card. <laughs> Help them, Lord. <laughs> Poor child, no mercy. Vito. All right. Vito means like, sorry, so bad. Poor thing. Just give you some <laughs> Spanish classes here. Well, let's take a look at Hosea 2, chapter, um, verse 2. Hosea, he pleads with his children, the three children, no mercy, not my people, and Jezreel. And he says, please go to your mother and tell her to stop her wandering ways. Tell her to stop her adultery. And Gomer had left Hosea again for some lovers. She left him and she went after her lovers. Verse 3, he says, God, now or I will strip her naked. I will remove everything from her and make her as a day when she was born and make her like a wilderness and make her like a parched land and I will kill her with thirst. Wilderness is an uninhabited land. A parched land is a place of drought without water. He says, I will kill her with thirst. Jesus is described as the living water in the New Testament. He's described as water, a fount, a perpetual well. But he says, if you distance yourself from me, I will kill you with thirst. When we get a, a glimpse of Gomer's heart in Hosea 2.5, she says, I will go after. She's pursuing things because we are pursuers by nature to pursue things. I will go after my lovers, who give me my bread, my water, and my flax, and my oil, and my drink. I don't know how many of you have seen the, the movie Great Expectations by Charles Dix, Dickens. I love old movies, so if you've read the novel or have seen the movie, there is this eccentric character by the name of Miss Havensham. And her lover left her stranded on her wedding night. And so she left the food table the way it was on her wedding night. And years had passed. There was maggots and cobwebs and just things all over this table. And she sat there like she was going to have a feast. 
she looked like she was gonna eat good food. And Gomer had this idea in her head that her lover's food was good. But she was at the table full of maggots. God says in verses 6 and 7, Therefore I will hedge her ways with thorns, and I will build a wall around her that she cannot find her paths. Verse 7, She shall pursue her lovers, but not overtake them, and she shall seek them. It's kind of a tongue twister. And she shall not find them. At first glance, these words seem harsh and almost cruel. <coughs> Hedge her ways with thorns? Build a wall around her? So that she can't find her path? So that she's completely lost? If you understand the heart of a husband who loves his bride, the heart of a father who will do anything for his children, then you will understand the motive behind what he was going to do. Gomer was in danger to herself. Yeah. I, people, was a danger to myself. Yes. I was my worst enemy. I was driving myself to the very pits of hell with my life before I came to Christ. The things that I was chasing after, I think back at my past, and if you would know the places I went to and the things that I did, I would be up here not being able to show my face. I was a danger to myself. And so he had to stop her paths. He had to stop her ways. He had to put a barricade on her path because the road that she was heading to was straight to a cliff. The route she was taking, her, taking was going right to her death. Mm. So when you take a deeper look at this verse, you see God's abundant love yes. for a woman who was looking for things that could kill her. And he wanted her safe. I was that woman, again, looking for all the wrong things, finding satisfaction in all the wrong places. My life had, was a scandal. I was a scandal. And my past led me to brokenness that by the age of 21, I have had three abortions, numerous relationships, pregnant with my second child out of wedlock, living with a man that I wasn't even sure loved me or would stick around. And I, I kept in this circle, this, this circle just trying to look for satisfaction. And I found myself in a small church messed up. And then I found Jesus, the fount of living water, who saved me because he loved me. But moreover, he satisfied me. That's right. And he filled all the empty places of my life. And he covered the shame of my past with his love. Amen. He was no mirage. You ever been, you ever seen um, people in a, in, a, in a desert and when they're really thirsty, they start to see a mirage in the distance. Mm -hmm. But when you get closer, it's empty. Yeah. Well, Gomer was looking for an oasis, but it was an illusion. It was, an, it was a mirage. I was looking for water. I was looking for satisfaction but it was a mirage. But when I found Christ, he was not a mirage. No illusion in this desert. <laughs> he was the real thing, the fount of living water. And I didn't have to thirst anymore because he was offering me a drink that would never run dry. And guess what? 
I've been following him over 20 years, and let me tell you, he satisfies. Yeah. I can attest to that, yes. and there are probably many women in this room that can attest to that. So what are the mirages of your life? What are the empty illusions that you're chasing after? Where are your pursuits leading you to, or where have your pursuits led you to? You, you may be here, just like me when I was 21, hearing the gospel for the first time in a small church, messed up, carrying luggage. You know, when, when she told you to toss that back, you did like this. Step right back in, right? You ain't ready to let go. I gotta hold on, right? And guess what? He's willing to take your baggage and willing to replace your heavy load with his yoke, and his yoke is easy, and his burden is light. You don't have to leave here with your heavy luggages. You don't have to leave here holding on to your past. You don't have to leave here riddled with shame because God is willing to take those things away from you. Verse 7 says, She will pursue her lovers but not overtake them. She will seek them but will not find them. God had to barricade her ways he had to make her pursuits futile. It was like chasing wind. It didn't make sense. She kept trying to, to catch her lovers, but she couldn't catch them because God wasn't allowing her to. Yeah. Why did God have to do this? The verse that follows says that as a result, she will say, I will return to my first husband. Come on. He didn't want her to catch her lovers. He didn't want them to, to fill her, to satisfy her, because he knows he's the only one that can. The word return, when he says, I will return to my first husband, that word means to turn back and to turn away. It means to restore, to refresh, and to repair. God has to do this so that she could repent, turning around from her sin. It says that she, was, that she would say, it was better with my first husband than now. She would come to her senses. She would come to her senses. God didn't leave me like this. God satisfied me. She would come to her senses. And God says, it was I who gave her the grain. It was I who gave her the wine. It was I who gave her the oil. I lavished her with gold and silver, and she used it for her lovers. But I was her supplier. I was her source. And I was all she needed. I am the substance of all good things. But she was so lost in her sin that she couldn't see. She couldn't see clearly. So God says, I got to withhold my good gifts. I got to pull them and, 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 and hold them from her so that she can say, I'll go back. I'll, I'll come to my senses. If what you're looking for ultimately doesn't lead you to Jesus or to God, it will leave you with shame. And so he says there, I will withhold those things because I know this is going to leave her shameful if she keeps going that way. And so he says, I'm going to uncover her nakedness you know when Adam and Eve, when they sinned in the garden, in the Old Testament, in Genesis, the first thing that happened was they, were, they saw that they were naked and they tried to cover themselves because they were ashamed. And so this woman, he had to uncover her nakedness. He was covering her so that she can see, like, whoa. But the shame wasn't from him. 
The shame was because she had wandered. God says, I'm going to get rid of all of it. And then I love the next verse. In verse 12, she says, I'm going to go get my wages that my lovers have given me. I'm going to go get my money. Well, you know how she made her money, right? She was a prostitute. And he says, I'm going to take even that from her. <laughs> so that she can see that she's poor in spirit without me. So she could see her poverty. And then if you want, I mean, in chapter 2, verse 13, jump. She went after her lovers and she forgot me. And that word forgot means she ceased to care about me. She was far gone that she forgot she belonged to me. There's this tone of sadness in that verse. God is like, she forgot about me. I was the one that supplied these things. She, she forgot that she belonged to me. She, she forgot that she was my bride. Mm. Jeremiah 2.13 says, The people of God have committed two evils. They have forgotten me, the fount of living waters, and they have dug their own wells with waters that do not satisfy. The idea that this woman looked for satisfaction <coughs> elsewhere, looking for satisfaction from a different source, we do the same thing. Yeah. We do the same thing. Our biggest issue as a people is our appetites. We don't want God. A.W. Tozer says that God waits to be wanted and we do not want him. Gomer didn't want God. She didn't want Hosea. She didn't want anything to do with him because she was too busy being satisfied with different lovers. She was hungry and thirsty for other things that she had forgotten, God. But the Bible says, taste and see that God is good. Yes. Taste and see that God is good. Gomer was too busy being filled by things that do not satisfy. But God devised the plan to get the woman he loved back. Mm -hmm. Look at verse 14. He said, I will allure her again. This is one of my favorite verses. Mm -hmm. I will allure her again. I will bring her into the wilderness, and there I'll speak tenderly to her. I will allure her again. I will bring her to the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. That word, word wilderness means an open space. He needed to take her away from all his rivals, all his competitions for her heart, so that she can see him again. And then in that place, he was going to speak tenderly to her. He was going to say, come back home. Come back. It was good here. I love you. I'll provide for you. I'm your husband. I'm your covering. Come back home. A place where there was no longer competitors for her affections. He had to have her full attention. When everything was stripped for her, from her, he had her attention. How many of you guys have a lot of distractions in your life? I'm telling you, the word distraction kept coming up, not only in my own life, but just in, I think, all the women who have been planning this. I think people who were coming, I mean, there were distractions after distractions. And distractions have a way of getting our attention. Yeah. The, 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 the dishes that are piled up and the, the, 
the clothes that are piled up and the kids who are needing this and that running around and it is graduation season for me for two kids i have a high school graduate graduating and then i have a eighth grader graduating so my life has been pulled in all sorts of ways with the last minutes like mom didn't i tell you i'm like no you didn't tell me <laughs> and so distractions have a way of pulling us we may not be like gomer like full out in our sin but we may be distracted and we may be pulled away from the good thing, which is time with the Lord, attention with Him, and spending some time with sisters who can encourage you. And we're just distracted, pulled all over the place. And He says, I, I got to take all these distractions away from Gomer so that I can speak tenderly to her. Yeah, so I was like zapped. My husband was just saying, he's like, man, you have a lot of things you have to juggle. I work full time. We speak and we do WTRs. The last three weekends, I've spoken at, three, at different places. I was in Wisconsin speaking for three nights. I spoke at a woman's banquet. It's just been a very, very busy, busy month. And honestly, I've been distracted. And I had to come to this place. I mean, I was just like connected to my phone. I'm like, what is going on? I need to detach from this. And sometimes God has to remove all the, the, the distractions and bring us to an empty, parched land, a wilderness where everything is taken from you. Sometimes that means having the flu. You know, sometimes God has to put me in my bed because I don't know how to rest. And he, he, he did that to Gomer. I'll take her in a wilderness so I can speak to her and I can tell her to return. And when she returns, I'll give her back her vineyards. I'll give her back her wines and, and, and her wool and her flax. I'll give it back to her. And then that wilderness will be a, a, a door of hope. That's what it says there. Your lover's names will be forgotten from your lips when you remember me. Come on. We are by nature pursuers with our heart's inclination to chase after lovers, things that we love. What is the rival or the competitors in your life? Think about that question. But the beautiful thing about God is that though we are running in the wrong direction, he's chasing us. I have found that God is the hound of heaven. Yes. Even when I was running from him, people coming up to me be like, hey, you want to come to church with me? I'm like, no, thank you. <laughs> no, no. Oh, uh, can I pray for you? Why do you want to pray for me? You know, I was just running from God and the things of God. I mean, people around me were coming. I was like, did someone tell you about my life? Like, why are you chasing me? You know? But God was throwing love letters to me. He was looking for me. He was chasing me. And I kept like, uh-uh, I don't want to pick up that phone. And, and God is a pursuer. Though we are pursuers, God is a pursuer of us. And because he is a pursuer of us, he will continue to chase us down. The Bible says that sin separated us. We became the unfaithful bride. And until you see yourself as Gomer, you'll never see Hosea chasing you. Until you realize that you're Gomer, that you're the one in need of mercy, that I'm the one in need of mercy, we'll never see Hosea. We'll never see God clearly chasing us. I had to come to a place where I recognize my distance from God. I had to come to a place where I recognize that my sin had separated me from God. 
Hosea represents God in this story. And just like Gomer, I have looked for things to satisfy me. Broken wells that hold no water. And they left me empty and dry. But what a God that we have. That he should love us enough to chase us in our pig pen. In our mess. Despite our running, he comes after us. And then Hosea is told in Hosea 3.1, go tell, Hosea, go. God tells Hosea, go. Go get your bride. Go into the brothel where she's sleeping with other men and go buy her back. They what? <laughs> go back, verse 16. Go and get her. Go chase after her. If you look a little bit before that, in verse 16, it says that God tells Gomer, I will make a covenant, a binding agreement with you, one that can never be broken, and I'm going to buy you back. I'm going to betroth you. And so God tells Hosea, go. That word go means die in the original language. I know. That word go means lay yourself aside and go pursue her. Go, go, go after her. Go after the one you love. It also means go bear and carry. I see Jesus all over this story. God chases us to our darkest place where we think we're hiding from him, where we think he doesn't see us. He chases us to the beds of our lovers. I was found in a bed with my lover. That's where God found me because my sin had weighed so heavy on my life. And God found me there and he bought me back. Not like Gomer did. I mean, not like Hosea did with 30 or 50 pieces of silver, but with his very blood. He died for me. And I had to come to a place in my own life where I said, I know that I didn't have appetites for you, God. I know my appetite was for everything else. I personally came to that place at 21 years old. And I tried all those things, but they left me unsatisfied. And I searched for satisfaction in lovers, in relationship, in the party scene, in alcohol. And it left me empty and filled with shame and regret. But until I saw myself fully as Gomer in this scenario, I couldn't see fully the gift that was being offered to me of mercy and forgiveness, a covenant love, mm. an unbreakable love. That's what it means, covenant. It, 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 it can't be broken. Until I recognized that I was just like Gomer and I was chasing after my lovers, I would never fully understand the price that was paid for me in the darkest state of my life in my wanderings, that Christ was chasing after me. Hosea is a representation of Jesus. When God told Hosea, go love a woman who will never want you on her own. Go love a woman who will forget you, who will cheat on you, who will squander the gifts that you have given her. Go buy her back, even though she's entangled in her sin. Go redeem her and make her your bride. And you, you know what God did? He sent his son. Yeah. 
God the Father told um, Hosea, go. And God the Father told Jesus, go. Go get back your bride. Philippians 2, 5, 8 says, I'm going to read it from the Message Bible. Think of yourself the way that Christ Jesus thought of himself. He had equal status with God, but didn't think so much of himself that he had to cling to his advantages or, the stati- or his status, no matter what. Not at all. When the time came, he set aside the privileges of deity and took on the status of a slave, becoming human. Having become human, he stayed human. It was an incredibly humbling process. He didn't claim special privileges. Instead, he lived a selfless, obedient life and then died a selfless and obedient death, the worst kind of death, a crucifixion. Though being found in the form of God, he didn't count that equality a thing to be grasped, but instead, Jesus emptied himself. Jesus left the throne in heaven. He emptied himself, and he came, and he walked the path that we walked. He walked dirty roads. He looked at people with their idols erected. He looked at people who didn't want anything to do with him. He, he, he walked into synagogues of people who claimed they loved him with their mouths but did not live that life. Jesus came, and he came to the dirtiest places looking for the most broken people. That's what Jesus did. He humbled himself, and he came. Can you imagine? Can you imagine, Hosea, go get your bride in the poorhouse? Wow. Want to talk about humility? Wow. Want to talk about putting yourself to the side? Want to talk about dying to yourself? Go get her. Go get her. She still smells like the sweat of her lovers. Go get her. Go love her. Buy her back. But that's what Christ did. We were in the bed of other lovers. We didn't want nothing to do with him. And he came back for us. Because he loves us. And he's offering us a covenant love that he paid for by his blood. And he says that bond can never be broken. You can't even break it. So we see these two parallels, Hosea and Jesus. Jesus walked this world. He stepped into places of idolatry. He walked along broken and hurting people, the searching, the despised, those that did not love him in return. And he humbly offered a great price to buy them back. And he became obedient to the point of death, death on a cross. As Hosea paid the price demanding, demanding for his bride, those, that silver, Christ paid the price that was demanding for our lives. Once once and for all, I'm paying for her. Her sin put it on me. Beaten, bruised, and bloodied. Put it on me. I'm buying her back. With his own life, he brought her back from the hands of her slave driver. Sin is a slave driver. Mm -hmm. It tells you what to do. It tells you where to go. It owns you. And he says, I will buy her back. Beaten and bloodied, I will buy her back on a cross. And just as amazing 
this adultery forgiving love God portrayed through Hosea that was available to Gomer if she would only turn away from her adultery and come back to Hosea so that same type of amazing adultery forgiving love God offers to us tonight and he says but turn away from your adulterous ways and follow me I can imagine Gomer as he pulls her from that place and he says you belong to me you're mine. You're not going back. I want to read a poem by John Piper. And it's um, a story of Hosea and Gomer, kind of an old age in retrospect of their lives. Then the God of grace came down again and said, Hosea, go embrace your wife beside the sea and place your hand with blessing on the head of Loami, the child, and, and raise the dead. Lo Rahama to life in me, and tell Jezreel that I will be for him a seed of hope to sow. In righteousness, Hosea, go. The gracious river bends once more. And so the prophet loved these four, his wife and his three children, again, and sought them by the sea, and bought them with equity of everything he owned. That was the memory tonight, because Hosea loved beyond the way of mortal man, what man would say. Love grows more strong when it must wait and deeper when it's almost hate. Jezreel spoke softly to, for the rest. Father, once more, let us be blessed. What were the words from long ago that gave you strength to love us so? Would you please bless us with your rhyme and sing it for us one more time? Think not, my son, that God's great river of love flows simply to the sea. He aims not straight, but to deliver the wayward soul like you and me. Follow the current where it goes, with love and grace it ever flows. And children, Gomer said with tears, mark this, the miracle of the years. She looked Hosea in the face and said, Hosea, man of grace. Dark harlotry was in my blood until your love became a flood, cascading over my crude life and kept me as your only wife. I love the very ground you trod, and most of all, I love your God. This is the lamp of candle for a bride made ready at the door. A shabby slave waits her embrace, blood bought and beautiful by grace. Grace, a love that we don't deserve. Grace, a love that finds us in our pit. Love that finds us in our mess. Grace, a love that changed my life and they can change yours. Let's stand to our feet.